education. Uh, when we come to that, it's really growth. It, it's the journey we're on. We're all on our own hero's journey. And good, bad experiences, it's all education. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. This is Annalise Corbin, Chief Goddess of the Past Foundation and your host. We hear frequently that the global education system is broken. In fact, we spend billions of dollars trying to fix something that's actually not broken at all, but rather irrelevant. It's obsolete. A hundred years ago, it functioned fine. So let's talk about how we reimagine, rethink, and redesign our educational system. This is Annalise Corbin, your host of Learning Unboxed, and we are uh, back again in Boston, Massachusetts for Learning Unboxed on the Road. And as always, I'm super excited about my guest. And today we have an individual who's near and dear to my heart and my backstory, somebody I've known for many years now. Uh, joining us today is Calvin Myers, who is Research Associate 3 with Woods Hole's Oceanographic Institution. Most everybody has heard of Woods Hole whether you're into stuff that is under the deep water or not, Nat Geo, all those different sorts of things that we've experienced in life. So um, Calvin's going to talk with us a bit about his journey in STEM because Calvin's journey doesn't fit the norm. And I think that as a case study around what's possible, what you can do, and some of the amazing opportunities that are out there that we don't necessarily always know we're headed our way is a pretty powerful thing. So, Calvin, thank you for joining us. Um, my pleasure, Annalise. Uh, excited to be here. Uh, I've known, gosh, I've known you in so many aspects. Uh, uh, starting, you were the reason I got into maritime, well, I got into maritime archaeology uh, because I took a, a trip to Caesarea, Israel, and volunteered over there. But I came to East Carolina University where I earned my master's and then later my PhD because of you. And that was uh, awesome. And at the same time, as a student coming up through graduate school, man, uh, that was it was intense and I loved it. And here we are. <laughs> and here we are. Yeah, <laughs> so many yeah. years later. And it's, um, I'm excited. So uh, let's, yeah, whatever you, let's get started. <laughs> so um, a little bit of backstory for my guests. Most folks who listen as sort of serially, I guess, if you will, uh, know that I am uh, by training an anthropologist and an archaeologist in particular. And my previous life, prior to um, launching and starting past with a very dedicated group of folks when we did that, um, was actually as a maritime archaeologist, as Calvin indicated. And so I met Calvin back when he was a grad student. He was actually my one of my TAs. Um, yep. We we're going to say a million years ago. Yeah, that sounds about right. About <laughs> now. Feels, uh, that was so it's been, life. it's been a while. Yeah, different life. And, you know, at least from my perspective, as it relates to some of that journey, you know, Calvin was always um, that curious student who was always willing to say yes, right? And that's a really, really important thing. And, you know, fast forward many years later to some extent, and I had left the university. Calvin had gone on to work on his PhD. Um, he was also then a part of the faculty and staff at the university. And then one day, I bump into Calvin at a at a conference as stuff happens. Yeah. And, um, you know, he tells me he might be interested in something new. And at that time it passed, we were in need of a new bridge program yeah. director as we were growing our student experiences in STEM. 
And I thought, hey, Calvin, Calvin could bring a new and different sort of approach to this. And so Calvin came on board at PAST. Yeah. And um, in that role, got to do a lot of really what I think of are pretty darn amazing things. But I want you, Calvin, yeah. really to sort of tell us a little bit about, first and foremost, um, since there's a program around teaching and learning and sort of the mm-hmm. best case studies and impacts in that, I want to spend our time sort of talking about the journey in STEM and yeah, educational sure. outreach and engagement. And out of full disclosure for both you and for our guests, a lot of your work at the graduate level in your maritime work was based on that notion of that public component of yeah. that work. So that came naturally to yeah. you. Um, so just a little background. I'm, an, I'm a teacher by training both my Folks were educators and teachers when I uh, and I grew up out in Montana, an area not known for its coastline. And, <laughs> small uh, coastline, <laughs> yeah, small, very small. And actually, it's why uh, when Annalise uh, said, "Oh, I do uh, Western River steamboats," I'm like, oh, "Really? Cool." <laughs> and uh, but the question that I had, even going through grad school, grad school, was um, so what's the point? And who cares? And why does it matter? And for me, those those answers were easy because I had chosen to follow a certain discipline, a certain career. But as an educator, it was always trying to get that bigger message out. And as Annalise mentioned, uh, as I did my PhD, it was interdisciplinary. And I was interested in these bigger types of questions. So when I finished that up, uh, as it was kind of like, okay, I've completed my academic journey. What's the next journey? And we met actually at a conference like this one, I think, out in Seattle. And uh, I don't even remember. What yeah, well, I, do. <laughs> I, I these are these kind of seminal moments because I, w- I just uh, basically we had a nice informal conversation, and then a couple months later, got a phone call and said, "Well, why don't you come out to Columbus, Ohio, and uh, and see what we're doing at Past?" Of course, I was aware of what Past was through our relationship, and um, so we did. We went out and. I'll keep it kind of short, but it was it was a chance to take some of my ideas that I was thinking, and as I remember saying that, you know, it was an area for a petri dish. Mm-hmm. It was a safe place, and I'm talking about past. And they had, you had just purchased the warehouse, uh, the back, and you're showing me in this vision and and all of this, and it was like cool. And uh, why not? You know, <laughs> let's see what can be done. And I. In that year I spent at PAST as the uh, Bridgewater, uh, Bridgewater, that's my current school, um, uh, the director of bridge programs, was a chance to play. Mm-hmm. It was a chance for me. And by the way, I, I didn't realize this until after I left. Because in the moment, in the heat of the moment, you're just trying to get to the next program. and do it. But people would come in with their ideas. And this is the thing I took away after is you would hear these ideas and you're thinking, okay, what can I do with this? That's the initial. But as you started to listen more and more, you started to real. well, what I realized, in my opinion, was the details were the important part. It was the passion. Mm -hmm. It was the connections that people were making. And once you started to do that, these new, innovative kind of programs like STEM of Tai Chi or uh, machine learning, you know, all these different things that came from different perspectives uh, was a really kind of um, a fun opportunity. And that wasn't something grad school would ever prepare you for. Uh, It was really when I went to the past innovation lab and I 
you know, I viewed it as a Petri dish. Mm-hmm. And, Definitely a Petri dish. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure it still is. <laughs> Not uh, <in> shame. <laughs> yeah. And, but that was, that was, that was the fun part of that. And so what kind of, you know, at the end of it, I still had my path that I was still very much interested in with the maritime field and came up to Massachusetts, Mm -hmm. but not, there was no program supporting me. I have no budget. It just basically, my wife um, got a a job at a, a state college and we came up here and my background in education, but also more importantly, a background of listening. I would go into a academic department and said, uh, you know, I'm interested in maritime archaeology. And you'd say, oh, their eyes would kind of go, that's interesting. And then you'd see them roll back and say, but but that doesn't matter to us. And I said, well, you know, what happens if we look at it from coding or what happens if we look at it 3D printing? Mm -hmm. And wouldn't it be cool if a kid who was interested in that played on it on a 400-year-old shipwreck? Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, that'd be great. And so that was the mantra is finding these connections with a really neat field. But it was because of that background of listening and understanding what people needed. And I know it's a successful kind of day when they talk more than I do. Mm-hmm. I, go, I go to a cold talk, right? And I kind of doing what I'm right now, kind of rambling a little bit. But sooner or later, their eyes light up and you've probably seen this. And then suddenly they go, oh. And then they're throwing ideas back at you. And you, what you realize is you haven't talked for 30 minutes. Now you know that we have something here. Yeah, and that's the best way to go. And I also think I want to make sure that you know folks are really clear that when, when Calvin came to me as a grad student many years ago, again, you know, your background um, in education, right? And to some extent mm. in teaching. You were a social studies teacher or poli sci, or <laughs> was you, you had was, been teaching. I, I, I was actually Latin and Greek. Oh, that's right. I have yes, I, I have a whole presen- right. I have a whole pre- presentation on how to make your parents uh, concerned with your career choices well, that work out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> dot, 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 that work, work out. out. That's, that's right. Important. Yeah. But my point with that, and the reason I wanted to bring that forward is because we get all the time, and I hear it. And in fact, um, I did an interview earlier today, and I heard this very thing right um, in town that. You know, you have to be in a STEM field to be in STEM. And that's one of those great misnomers, right? That STEM is foundational. It is in everything. There's not a discipline. There's not a career. There's not an activity that we do as humans on the planet Earth, right? That is not somehow STEM related. The lens and the point of view and the experience you bring to it are all going to be very different. But those letters are not relevant at all. The foundational piece is design thinking. And so for you as a as a, a teacher in classics to yeah. suddenly find yourself fully enmeshed in creating STEM programs, we're going to get to that in a minute, the stuff that you do now, that's that's not unheard of. And it's also not unnatural. In fact, that's one of the best ways to get at it. Absolutely, and and the whole notion of I have many Corbin quotes in the, that Uh-oh. I keep in, in my index, <laughs> and they're all most of them are really really in, inspirational. Most of them, um, <laughs> but one of them is STEM is just effective teaching. Mm-hmm. STEM is science, technology, engineering, math is life. Yeah, you know, and, and and we talk about it, and and you'll hear that when you go and talk to um, uh, either a department or a dean. Like, oh, well, you're going to need to talk to the STEM people. Well, then that's the great thing about the maritime history, and I get into that. I said, well, this is where history meets STEM. I use that 
But if we think about just technology and how we're getting here, it's, it's communication, it's connections. And that's all STEM is. It's how you transmit knowledge, education through generations. And, and archaeology is simply understanding the STEM of the past. That's all it is, is understanding human behavior. So there's all these different kind of connections, but you get, you're right. You get into it and people get really locked into the, you know, the acronyms. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate, right? And yeah. as Calvin Wells well, well knows, I, I collect the acronyms. Mm-hmm. And over the years, right, I have, have, I have collected some, one of my quotes too. some pretty yeah. awesome ones, right? And, it, and I highlight them and I use that to sort of talk about the ridiculousness I guess, if you will, of the scenario. But at the end of the day, I understand why folks are focused on that because we do have this massive workforce and industry gap specifically in those areas, Yeah. right? And so we do need to work very collectively and collaboratively around finding and identifying opportunities, right, for students to discover and be passionate about whatever their career is. And if that's within these great needs, STEM areas where we desperately need people, that's great. But if not, that's great too. And so, you know, we at PASS spend a lot of time helping kids explore those opportunities and finding passions. And that's one of the things that I was thrilled to see that you were able to take with you when you left PAST. And, you know, as Calvin said, he was only with us in that role for a year because life happened (laughs) and he and his family needed to come to Massachusetts. So, we were bummed and sorry, but we were thrilled to see him go off and do amazing things and to take the things that hopefully that he learned either with us or through us um, into that new space. And that, you know, long term, our hope was that we would be able to, to learn and gain back from Calvin. So I want to talk a little bit about the STEM camps. So yeah. you sort of made your way in Massachusetts, you know, <laughs> pulling together a variety of different projects um, and some programs that you were able to do at a number of different institutions. Yep. Um, and so tell us about the sort of the where and the why of the STEM camps and the focus that you take and how that then translates back into that sort of, because a lot of it in the middle school space, which we know to be the sweet spot, so desperate. Yeah. So how, how does that then ultimately translate back into a traditional classroom teacher's experience, their, their practice? That's start start a, yeah. with telling us about the program, sure. and then we'll get into the nuts and bolts. Of sure, that, and that's that's a really great question. And I think in starting with this again, another thing I took from past is that uh, there is no monopoly on good ideas. And mm-hmm. and here's another um, uh, Corbinism is you know <laughs> uh, if you surround yourself with talented people, it makes your job much easier. Mm-hmm. And and one thing I look for is when I go into talk to teachers or to to schools and start talking is um, I look for sparks and eyes and I call it don't kill my unicorn Uh, (laughs) in the sense of it's a beautiful moment of creating something that's never been created for us. It's almost mythical and it's powerful. And what you're looking for is somebody who doesn't say, well, how are you going to make it happen? Because at this point of the process of the mythical nature of this, you're looking for inspiration. You're looking for somebody who gets that passion that you feel because that's going to translate. Can I can I steal that by the way? Yes, you Don't can. Don't steal my unicorn. I, I say it all can, the time. Can I borrow that? Yeah, you please do. Please, I, I, please. I'm, I'm yeah, if you make, can call them my eyes. I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna make it a please. talk. I think I yeah. love that. No, I I do, and it's when I when I go off and I you know oh we can do this and this and somebody's like well how are you gonna make that happen I'll just turn to them now and I'll say please don't kill my unicorn I'm flying it 
mm-hmm. right? Because yes, I realize I realize logistics happen, reality right. happens, and and it's not going to be what I think it is now. But let's enjoy that moment, and I look for people who get that. Mm-hmm. That's my first thing. If I'm in a room and I'm talking and somebody gets it, then right there is a connection. And I'm a big believer in connections. And I'll focus on that person and we'll keep talking and we'll brainstorm, you know, the design process. Here you go, right? Here's our brain. That's the unicorn face. That's the fun. You throw mud on the wall. You see what sticks. You know, not all of it's going to be there, but it's a fun, messy time. And and I would say embrace the messiness. Mm -hmm. And this all plays into it because I didn't have a direct plan on coming up here, how this was going to work. We had run one college field Mm -hmm. camp uh, through Salem State University, that was college level, very traditional, and that was about the, the summer before I came to pass yeah. officially. Then we were asked back, but in that year I worked at Past, we uh, applied for a grant and got it through the Maritime Heritage Program, uh, yeah, through the Park Service, mm-hmm. and worked with a school up in Salem, uh, Collins Middle School, which. We found it was serendipitous. Right. We were trying to, it was going to be regional. We were looking around. I went in and I talked to the, I talked to five or six, seven different principals. I don't know the number. And I found one. And right. he was like, right. let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. Boom. Just like that. And it was magic. And, um, but it's always yeah. magic when you find a building leader. Yeah. Who Thank says, you. let's do this thing. Yes. It doesn't matter that I don't fully understand it. You know, that's I, the unicorn let's, part let's of that. Try yeah. this thing because it sounds kind of cool, exactly. and maybe it will be cool. Yes, and and that that's what I'm. That's the yeah. connection. That's the person you're looking for, and it could be at any level. You know, you want somebody to make it happen, and this is what happened. It was somebody who wanted to hop on the unicorn without all it was you know without all the details. But you knew you had a colleague, you knew you had a partner, you knew you had somebody who was going to try to make it happen. And they did. And we worked with this middle school and it was fantastic. Mm -hmm. And through that, I learned again, the design process. Okay, this worked well with college. This didn't. But one of my favorite experiences, again, coming from past, and we took the past model, went through past. It was a grant for that. So we did the um, National Park Service. And we did the, uh, you know, there was a real world problem they had to solve by the end of the week. And part of that was to be able to display and disseminate and educate the vice superintendent for the region, for the school district, Mm -hmm. on what they did for the week and also why this shipwreck mattered. And we had a couple of students who were on the spectrum and, uh, you know, they were challenging all week and they pushed you and they got under you and they made the best damn presentation out of everybody. They did a virtual tour in the sense of they created a PowerPoint and did links. So it's kind of like this multiple choice, choose your own adventure. And I sat there and he was quiet and he worked, it was all Friday, the last day we had, and he was quiet for the first time all week for four hours. (laughs) And it was a time I'm like, are you ready? He's like, yeah, check this out. And we did it. And, uh, he had the, I mean, uh, you, listeners, might, but he had the ship parts, the terms, walked us through. He had significance, said, okay, I'm going to click here. We went to the stem, stern, you know. Mm-hmm. It's one of those. It's, those it was magical. Moments, it was magical. And, yeah. and you saw the, sorry guys, but yeah. you saw the unicorn flying yeah. off, right? Yeah. But it wouldn't have happened again without paying attention, listening, and knowing who was actually interested and not trying to force my preconceived notions of how this program should be when we started back in January 
but just letting it evolve, Mm -hmm. following the leads of, you know, even though I was the director of it, backing off, trusting the people, uh, trusting the people I worked with, uh, the staff had passed. um, Ashley Bloom was magical in her own right and getting everything together and and following her um, guidance because her experience and, and seeing it come together. And I think as that plays out, you, you realize how important the teamwork is and you realize that's really education in its nutshell, right? Mm-hmm. That the, and I'm not just telling anything you, anyone doesn't know, but experiential is another type of connection. And it's also a type of connection that multiple learners can take advantage of. And I think that that's one of the other things. And and certainly for us at PASS, one of the reasons that we so very, very strongly advocate that, you know, there's there's all these based learning opportunities. There's project-based, there's place-based, there's work-based, there's, you know, take take your pick, the flavor of the month. I don't really care. What they all have in common, right, is that they're based on the based. They are based, quite literally, on the notion that we have this applied and engaged connection and that we are stepping away from the traditional style of teaching and learning and instead are embracing a thing that's immersive, right? And as we know, right, yeah. for a wide array of learners that walk into your camps or into your classroom, right, you don't know what you're going to get. You don't get to choose <laughs> right. uh, for the most part. There are you, few. There are you, few scenarios you, where you do. You play with the cards you're dealt. Exactly. You know, and that's but mad. when you create that kind of environment, it's an inclusive environment, yeah. and it makes room for every participant, not just to learn, but to also be part of the outcome collectively. And that's yeah. a very different approach. It it really is. And another example, can I give yeah, another example? Yeah, absolutely, please. Is, so I ran a, um, uh, another camp with high schoolers at, um, at my current university, Bridgewater State University, where I teach as adjunct there, as well as my uh, research at Woods Hole. Um, and so I ran a summer camp uh, through their STEM um, called the Case Center for Advancement of STEM Education. And the students I had all were heavily um, from a science and coding background Mm -hmm. and really couldn't care anything about history or so they told me regularly the first day (laughs) that they were there. They they were on scholarship and they uh, heard that they could make uh, some 3D prints. And this is, they came to this and their goal was to actually document timbers from a shipwreck that sits in the basement of Pilgrim Hall Museum from 1626 called the Sparrowhawk, Sparrowhawk the oldest colonial um, mm-hmm. ship, shipwreck that's um, extant that we, we know of. Of course, they didn't quite get that when I mentioned it at first. because Nor had, did they care, did they? Oh, no, no. They looked at me just like, oh, those are nice words, right? <laughs> and I, you know... Come on, Dr. Myers, make this relevant to me. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And you can see it there. And I said, well, and you know what? That's okay. Yeah. And I've learned to embrace that too. Um, I've learned to embrace the whole looking at me like I, I, you know, seeing right through me and who are you, right? Because I know where they're going to be at the end of it. And, you know, and that's human nature too. Uh, It's, uh, you have to earn trust. And when and when you're up there, you realize, and this is important too, as a teacher, it's not about you. Ooh, you know, it's the reverse. It's about them. And what they're doing at that moment is sizing you up. 
Are you going to care? And that's how I view it. They're sizing you up, not just for your knowledge, because we might forget stuff all the time, but they're really sizing you up in the next couple of times. Do you care? Mm -hmm. Do you care about what you're talking about? Do you care about how you're talking about it? And through that, because that's the medium as an instructor at the beginning, right? right. What that's, it's not in what they're really hearing is, do you care about me? Yep. Because yep. if you care about those two things and in the environment, and before the hierarchy kind of breaks down, right? When we're doing the introductions, if, you, if we can figure out that you're sincere and you care about what you're saying, well, okay, we'll, we'll trust you. If you care about that, then maybe, and you care about presenting it to me at this moment, Maybe you care about me. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a slow buildup. And I think good friendships, in my experience, have always been a slow burn. Mm-hmm. And I, I embrace the slow burn. We, we do warm-ups and everything so I get to know their name. But I see skepticism. Mm-hmm. I see so. Make it relevant to me, Dr. Myers, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the thing, yeah. right? At the end of the day, it's part of human nature. And I think that's part of sort of stepping back from it and recognizing sort of the where and the why of the learner, right? And, you know, we we need to find a personal connection to the things that we are investing in. And it's yeah. no different than a child, right? Or student mm-hmm. along the way, a, a worker at, you know, a company or an industry. The reality is the same, yeah. right? I have to find a meaningful way for, for me to care about this. And so then let's circle back around and, and talk about... Before we go to the next one, to finish that off, though, at the end of the week after... And, there, and we had a nice... Uh, somebody came and did a nice article, and there's a great quote in it that says, um, I was really, really nervous to be holding uh, a piece from 400 years ago and it was amazing or something. I'm paraphrasing. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. And, and when I, because they didn't tell me, I didn't know at the end of the week, I knew they had a good time, but it was kind of like when I read that quote, um, and it's online somewhere, I can't remember off the top of my head, but it was, you know, when you did a good job, you know, and, and they didn't compliment me, but they did in the best way possible. Right. Right. They, they got it and they said it and it was, now they had combined their, their STEM where they came in with, with that deeper connection to people in the past. So that's where that ended up. And so that was a really powerful, like, yes, that's, that was a reward. It is. And, and then how, how does that same experience then translate back into teachers in the classroom? Because you don't just take students into the field with you. You know, you've had teachers participate in some of these same programs. And so let's talk a little bit about sort of that, that connection, that takeaway. How do you, I guess the question that I have for you is I know how we do it at pass and Mm -hmm. I know how we showed you to do it. But the reality is when you're out and you're off on your own, right? How is it that you you achieve the same sort of takeaway from your participants? Whether you follow and track or provide ongoing services back to those schools or teachers or not, that part's not as important as... How do you how do you know, Calvin, as the expert in that moment? How do you know that connection's being made for that teacher? When we're out, well, again, when you can't tell outside of size and age, at least in the fields schools that I've mm-hmm. run or we've had teachers on board, when you can't tell who's a student or who's the teaching because we're uh, sorry, I can answer this probably best with an example again, where we had teachers out 
working with students and they were the student the students and we call them scholars actually mm-hmm. and all of them were scholars so we can you know uh set, uh, remove the distinguish between students and teachers because they wore those hats out there and to begin with and you didn't want that no and and that's where we're going right. by the end right. of the week you had the the they were equal scholars the right. kids were teaching the te- teaching the teachers they were working together and when you said okay who are who's going to who, what are the buddy teams and like oh me and and Joe uh, me and it wasn't even Mr you know or Mrs anything it was oh we're going to be working together without hesitation mm-hmm. right without with with connections and so um it was a crew right and again another reason i love the field work aspect and and even and if i think field work we think it has to be well, or, you know, out in, the, out in the open, outdoors. But really, it's just another term. We talk about STEM. It, it's just teamwork mm-hmm. to accomplish a goal. And, and any successful team at some point gels. Um, and any successful team finds the participants teaching each other all the yep. time and That's over I mean. and mm-hmm. over again, right? right. And that is the difference between a team that is purely hierarchical for the purposes of getting a job done right. and a team that is collaboratory that's a that's collaborative yeah. um with the same goal in mind but it functions very very differently it does and i think it um one has shown itself to be more sustainable over long hauls you can both are models right but i've noticed that teams that are high um you know based in hierarchy you'll have people leave or break apart at different rungs in the ladder, and then you'll have to fill that in. Where um, better version is more of a, s- a circle. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it rolls. Um, it moves together. You know what? People leave, but for different reasons. Not because they're disgruntled, but like, again, with me, it wasn't, it wasn't that I, I, I love PASS. I loved working there from what I learned. Um, but I knew I had a different journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was excited about where I was mm-hmm. going. And, and, and you know what? When I announced it, everybody there supported it. <laughs> you don't know how that's going to go. And um, not saying that a hierarchical um, model doesn't have that, but in my experience, when people leave, it's for different reasons. But it, but it translates directly. And I think this is an intriguing thing. And the reason I asked the question mm-hmm. is because it's, it's very difficult sometimes, not always, mm-hmm. sometimes, right? To to transition from being the single point of authority in a learning environment, whether it's be a classroom, yeah. in a middle school, a high school, you see it less so in an elementary school because the dynamics are different, yeah. right? But certainly by the time you get to middle school, and absolutely by the time we're in high school and into post-secondary, yes. there, there should be, right, an opportunity to see a shift, to allow the learners to, to develop back to something yep. you said earlier, that sense of confidence, right? Yeah. And they can't be confident in what they know if you don't let them lead or you don't let them make decisions or you don't let them. And they look to you for permission because yeah. they're kids, they're students, and even our collegiate students. I mean, I can't tell you how many times <laughs> at East Carolina that you know my grad <laughs> students would come in my door. Now, Dr. Corbin, can I? Yeah. Right. And, and so there, there's that notion, right? It's yeah. ingrained. And so it's very, very tough 
to change that paradigm. And you know what? It it's also very easy to slip back into that. And 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 you know, all in all honesty, I I, I do teach um, classes as adjunct, and sometimes you know you have four courses in a semester, and you're busy, and suddenly you realize, yeah, it's it's easier, right? It's easier to have that paradigm to lecture that. And inevitably, those have always been the classes or courses when I walked out, said, wow, I, uh, something was missing. Mm-hmm. Because it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to let go. And even with my experience of having done that and seeing how successful it is, you still, you're, it's, it's, it's a mo- again, when we talk about connections, there is this moment of vulnerability. There is a moment, it might be small, it might be thin, it might be just a threshold, but no matter where it is, it's a moment of trust. And you put yourself out there, and I think sometimes it doesn't work out. Mm-hmm. You know, and I've tried, a few, you know, you, you put yourself out there and you think you have this, and there's, the connection doesn't happen, and it hurts. Because cause you did, you, 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 you thought a lot about it, and, but then if you kind of go back and reflect on that, what was the real motivation? Was it because you love the idea so much and they didn't? Well, who's really, who's that serving? Is it, you know, aren't you just kind of in some ways serving your own ego? Mm-hmm. Like, this is a great idea. Oh, they didn't like it. Well, why didn't they like it? It must have been them. No, probably it's looking this. So you get in the deep reflection and you realize the path, you got too caught up. You fell again, you fell into that trap. Mm-hmm. Of thinking your idea was the best. They didn't get it, so it must be them, and that hurts. But in reality, you didn't trust them. I mean, you didn't let them take it on their own and sometimes just take a step back, come back to the class, do it a different way. Say, so, you know what? For these next three weeks, I'm not talking. <laughs> I hope they do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and sure enough, they'll do a research. And we just had a very similar semester where they, um, you know, in a myth. Uh, we we use myth to um, I teach a mythology course and we used it to get into um, issues of social justice mm-hmm. and Me Too and looking at how these have been prescribed through culture and it's very scary when you get into very controversial topics. It can be right, but but you gave a vehicle to those students, right? And, and you yes. you made it okay. And you heard me kind of pause right there yeah. because that's the moment where I'm like, oh, I want to explain and make it safe for them, but if you stop. And embrace the silence, they start to pick it up mm-hmm. and their voices come through. And you heard, and I heard some uh, great uh, papers that came out, some of the best papers I've read. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but whatever. So that's mythology, but it's still effective teaching. It still has you take it back to your classroom. You know, it's that vulnerability that you put yourself out there. And I guess coming back to what you asked about earlier with the teachers is that you saw it. You, you saw them give up something, mm-hmm. control, mm-hmm. and they started to work with the kids. I, I think one of the other things in those scenarios, and I saw it in the program um, that you did when, when you and Ashley came out yeah. and ran that, um, and a lot of the day-to-day, because I was monitoring all of that <laughs> happening very closely, right? Because you were <laughs> relatively new yeah. in that sort of space, right? And so... The, you know, one of the things that I think that we see over and over again 
from the teacher perspective, right, is you took those teachers who participated and they were there for a variety of reasons because they had an administrator that said, hey, let's do this thing, yeah. right? And yeah, so like they, they had signed on. However, however, what they spent time with you doing was not what they know, mm-hmm. nor was it their comfort zone. And you plunked them down in the middle of all of that that you handed to them right. from the get-go and said, hey, it's a big, scary world. And you said, and oh, by the way, right? Mm-hmm. You're also not going to lead or be the expert. Instead, you're going to be immersed and learn as the student. That is not something oftentimes after we leave our teacher prep programs that we have the opportunity to come back and, and embrace or try again. And I, right. I, for me anyway, every chance that I've had the opportunity to be in the field with, with teachers and that sort of immersive field environment with, with, with kiddos, I'm always struck by it. Um, and I assume that you were sort of, you, you saw the power of that. I did. And you, and you brought up a memory with that where the, the, te- the teachers who were p- participating at the beginning who would they look for to answer their? First of all, they had some of them had the most questions. Like you talk about people who needed structure, right? Oh off the yeah, bat. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just like, well, what is? How do I do this? How do I do this? And who are they asking at the beginning of the mm-hmm. week? Would always be yep, you. And <laughs> and they wouldn't look at anyone. It was direct, right? Oh, hey, and the laser focus right on me. And by the end of the week, they well, chicken and egg. I didn't hear as many questions. I don't know if they had as many. Mm-hmm. Or, and this is when I did see this, they were asking the students and the people around them. And they weren't looking to me. Mm -hmm. And they were also accepting that maybe they didn't know everything and didn't need the parameters. Because some, again, with at least the teachers that were involved, Mm -hmm. they needed the parameters. Mm -hmm. Well, how is this going to fit? What are we going to do right here? Where are we going? That's the big one. You know, sometimes I don't give a lot of direction at Mm -hmm. the beginning of the week because of the self-discovery. And um, you'll hear, oh, it seems a little disorganized or um, we didn't get clear instructions right off the bat. Well, they had the instructions they needed. Mm-hmm. I didn't give the details on everything because there was discovery. Very uncomfortable, mm-hmm. very uncomfortable. And yet by the end of the week, the smiles and then the feedback, also the feedback. And it was usually something to start off. Yeah, we didn't know it where we, on Monday, but it made so much sense on Thursday and Friday. Not. And in my opinion, is because they've did it themselves and they work to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Well, and that then carries over to sort of, at least from my perspective, and certainly from the work at past, is if if we see as part of our sort of mission and vision um, or our give to the world, right, is to help classrooms transition from that old school right. factory based scenario that was very effective mm-hmm. our educational system when we when we developed it 150 years ago, right? Sure. It's no longer relevant today, right? So it, we are in the space of, you know, uh, an opportunity. Right. It's, it's not even a, a detriment, but it's this great opportunity that we now have the, the moment has come to do in a complete system overhaul and redesign. And part of that redesign is we no longer need to, to teach 
everything. We no longer need to be an an entity or an endeavor that is based on this notion of rote memorization because we have a, we we live in a very, very different world with a whole different set of collective tools and and Mm -hmm. things at our disposal. Um, I was recently um, speaking at a a STEM event and and I remember reaching over and I had sitting on the podium (laughs) my cell phone. And I said, you know, because somebody had asked me, what's, what's, what's your vision? What's the thing that you hope for for a future? And I just picked it up. It was my timer. I picked it right up off the podium and I held it up to, to, to the room. And I said, you know, we need to stop teaching all the stuff that's inside here. Because it's and there. instead, yeah. teach everything this doesn't know. If we start teaching that and stop teaching everything that I can look up in this thing, now that's 21st century education. And it will never work if it's not immersive, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You run into this this whole debate on on cell phones and, and, and I always think of students looking, when constructed, it is their encyclopedia. There's so much within that that they can collaborate. And I've worked hard to have them engage mm-hmm. um, with, uh, you know, whether it's university social media that we have, diff- one's different designed with that, or even Twitter. It's, it's, it's how current generations communicate. Mm-hmm. And as you say, tapping into the power of that communication facilitates it. And uh, um I don't have I don't have really have much insight with that, but as you watch students and as they move around, and even with my own daughter, and how she is friends with people she hasn't seen in five years, where I don't know where I'm, you know, <laughs> we used to be when you move away, that was the end of it. Mm-hmm. But she still knows um, how her friends from Ohio or from Pennsylvania or North Carolina are doing. Mm-hmm. You have that facilitation of knowledge. Mm-hmm. And 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 he, of uh, personal or human connections, right. and and how you then can then wade through that, right? Critically and, thinking about that and, and accessing that, yeah. And that's what that's what, and yeah. and how you process that, because as we know, there's a whole bunch of. Mm-hmm. Well, you there's know, good stuff yeah. and bad stuff, of course. Here, and right? that, that's the reality. Yeah, that's the reality. Right? Yeah. So, and, but yeah, well, and that's how it's always been too, right? right? right. I mean, even. Even journalism throughout it just, history, It's just right? easier to get to the good and the bad right now, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, it's just in your pocket, and it's instantaneous. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's wonderful if you have a question. <laughs> it's like, oh, <laughs> that's right here. Um, but it's it's how you wade through that. And, and then it's how you you filter and share and understand it. And I think there is a critical gap uh, because... As you said, there's good and bad, and mm-hmm. it seems if you just throw one against the wall as they stick, who says it loudest anymore is, um, you know, not not the best way to go about it. Mm-hmm. That's true. I hadn't thought about it that way, but that's a very very true statement. So, one of the things I'd like to do as I get ready to wrap this <laughs> program is I always ask my guests to imagine that you are are a teacher, formal or informal, right? And you are you are someplace that doesn't have the same type of facilities or resources mm-hmm. that you might have, for example, here in Boston. And I want to do what Calvin Myers does, or I want to bring essences of what mm-hmm. you do um, into my teaching and learning to benefit mm-hmm. my community, my school, my students. Um, what, what 
What's some of your best advice? You know, I, I always I always want to send folks away from the program with you know mm-hmm. that some piece of that nugget you should know. Mm-hmm. Well, you start with you can't fake passion. You can't fake it. So start with yours. I mean, mine, I'm doing what I love and I'm still doing it. And I think in our field, mm-hmm. that is something to be said there, just to still be involved and to be working with whom I'm now working with Woods Hole. Mm-hmm. You know, the boy from Montana doesn't grow up to work in Woods Hole without, without really loving what they do because you can't fake it and then recognize it. Mm-hmm. You'll, you'll know what it is. You'll get it. You'll, you, it's, I talk in these kind of metaphorical terms, but here's a biological one. When I feel goosebumps, and I'm talking literal goosebumps, when I'm looking at somebody and maybe you can see it in their eyes um, or maybe they say something and you're just like, yes, and pursue that. Connections, it's still about people. I mean, you're absolutely right. We can get all the knowledge at our fingertips. And people, well, I don't want to digress, but it's still about connections. And no matter where you are, you take those phones away and you're telling a story and suddenly somebody looks at you with a spark in their eye. That is a connection. And see where it goes. Not all of them work out, but you know, find your passion and uh, passion is great, uh, but uh, I have also a huge uh, believer in persistence, right? If, you, if you're passionate about it, I mean, look how long we've known each other mm-hmm. and I've taken turns and done different things and uh, look for opportunities. I don't, you know, I, I teach classes from global human issues to shipwrecks and maritime archaeology to Middle Eastern cultures. Because it's all interesting. Learning is interesting. Mm-hmm. But I do this in parts because I'm, I'm persistently trying to pursue my passion. Education. Uh, when we come to that, it's really growth. It, it's the journey we're on. We're all on our own hero's journey. And good, bad experiences, it's all education. We're all stemming all the time, all the day. Uh, we're learning about ourselves, our environment. And that human growth um, is a powerful connection. So when I go and talk about maritime archaeology, I'm not talking about my field. I'm talking about human growth and how we can facilitate that in ways that are unexpected. So you don't need any technology for any of that. Look, you'll feel it. And, you know, don't let anyone kill your unicorn and look for people who get it. And it doesn't matter who's in the room. That's pretty universal. And it's, it's held me in good stead on where I am now. Uh, so that would be my, my kind, of, kind of advice as people go out there. And uh, I think if you listen both to other people and also your, kind of your own internal, you'll know. You'll know the good ones. You will. I would agree. Um, <laughs> definitely. And you're one of the good ones, Calvin. <laughs> so thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, it's been my absolute honor. And for, I don't, you know, this isn't video podcasts out there. It's been, I want to give um, just a, uh, a heartfelt thank you to uh, Dr. Annalise Corbin, who started me on this path. And just thank you. You're very welcome. The pleasure has been all mine. And there is so much work yet to do. So you're there not is. off the hook. No, absolutely. <laughs> I wouldn't want it. I, would, I love the work. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. 
Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education. <laughs>